0: So, you may be wondering, where's the announcements? Why didn't Nancy come up? Or, where's reading time? Really, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at how we teach Scripture, how the community of God receives the Word. And, you know, traditionally there's a, a 40 minute, 50 minute, 90 minute sermon <laughs> at the pulpit, a guy front and center speaking at people. But I don't know about you, but sometimes. It gets dull, it gets boring, Um, and I love to preach, so I'm saying that of myself, too. But what what would it look like to break things down into different sections, you know, to to take little chunks uh, of sermons or response times? Um, So we're gonna actually have a connection time after this section, and this is what I call breaking down the scripture section. So part A, part one, is let's look at the word Let's break it down. And by the way, we're starting a new series on Ephesians for this fall. And the title of the series is called A Community of Blessing. A Community of Blessing. And we're gonna be talking about today, God's Relentless Blessing. God's Relentless Blessing. So, I wanted to give a little background. What's the backdrop? What's the context um, in which the readers would have been reading Paul's letter to Ephesus. Uh, First off, it's what I just said. The author is most likely Paul. Uh, And the reason I say most likely is some commentators say, oh, it's not Paul, it was probably a disciple of his, writing in the name of Paul, but influenced by Paul's teachings. And this is because, one, the voice of the letter is way too important. He, he's talking to the Ephesians, he planted that church before, earlier, and so there should be a familiar, more of a familiarity in his voice with these people. So that's one reason. He's, it doesn't sound like he's as close. And then there's all this time stuff, like uh, look back at Acts, what's going on? Is Paul in prison or is this later? Um, look at Colossians, which is kind of a parallel, Almost word, There are parts that are word for word in Colossians with Ephesians, stylistically. Um, so it makes some people say, oh, maybe it wasn't Paul. Um, but a majority of people say Paul wrote it and we're just gonna go with that because it's the easiest and who cares. Um, but if the author is Paul, it's probably written in 60, the 61 AD, which at that time, Paul was in under house arrest in prison. So he's writing from prison. Um, to uh, the church at Ephesus. And if you want to do some background reading, you can go to Acts 18 and Acts 19. Both of these chapters uh, tell the story of how Paul discovered Ephesus on his way from leaving Corinth to go to Jerusalem. He stops by Ephesus and he hangs out there, goes through Jerusalem, and then on his way back from Jerusalem, he stops in Ephesus again and ends up starting a ministry there, starting a church there, and stays there for a number of years. In fact, uh, Ephesus is the church, the place that is his longest tenure anywhere. Continued uh, one, one stay, one ministry. And if you read in Acts 19, Paul, you see him in Ephesus going to the synagogues, going to uh, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, arguing and lecturing with Greeks and Jews about the scriptures, about philosophies. So he's doing, he's like a street apologist, a street evangelist, just getting into contextual discussions with people and arguments and debates. And this is how he's garnering up interest in the word, right, he's garnering interest. And people are starting to be so fascinated by the ministry of Paul, that they're flocking to them, and at this time um, Ephesus is a very metropolitan port city. So it's one of the largest cities in Asia Minor um, on the Mediterranean. It's a port city, and a lot of people called it the gateway to Asia, right? So Asia Minor is modern day what do we call Turkey right now, and, no. and uh, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. Like, And so you have an influx of many different people. It was multicultural, multi-ethnic, right? Busy commerce. Um, It was also the center of pagan worship. Uh, The most central pagan worship was uh, the Temple of Diana or the Temple of uh, Artemis, there you go. Yes, the Temple of Artemis and Diana. And uh, Ephesus had a lot of blacksmiths and silversmiths and they'd actually hound, you know, little idols. Uh, for sacrifice to Artemis. And actually if you read in Acts 19, you'll see that there's a riot of blacksmiths, right? Led by a blacksmith named Demetrius. And they're so mad because Paul is becoming so popular and people are flocking to him that uh, they're not buying these idols to Artemis. And so the blacksmiths riot against Paul. So that's what's going on. Paul is a figure, right? He's a figure in the city. And he's right at the confluence of culture and ideas and thought. And he's bringing the gospel right into that place. And he's saying, boom, Jesus, this is the story that you need to be thinking about. This is the person that you need to be following. These are the truths and the words that you've been searching for all this time. And people are intrigued. And it's causing chaos and it's causing conflict. This is not a personal letter, many people think, like the letter to Timothy, for instance, but this is likely a circular letter um, to the church at Ephesus, but to be distributed to other churches, smaller churches, uh, offshoots in the Ephesus region. And uh, the church itself uh, was multi-ethnic. It was a socially diverse church. And most specifically, and I think this is really key to Ephesians itself, understanding Paul's language about reconciliation, Paul's language about adoption and being unified as a church in Christ, is that uh, it was made up of a mixture of Jews and Greeks specifically. Um, in Ephesus, there were, along with the pagan temples, there was a large community of Jewish people um, and there were synagogues in Ephesus. Uh, And so, if we look at this first chapter, the first 14 verses, um, I think Paul is beginning to lay down a meta-narrative. One writer says, uh, I think it's N.T. Wright actually, N.T. Wright says, uh, it's the breathtaking view of the entire landscape, of what it means to be the people of God, to be the church. And some people say when I read, Oh, it's like his opus of Christian doctrine. Anytime I hear the word doctrine, I'm just like, shut, 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 shut. <laughs> Doctrine? I like what I see is it's his opus of Christian identity. Right? He's saying, this is what it means to be the people of God. And he's laying out the foundation, the great story, the love story of God since creation, and saying, do you remember that? belong to God, right? Whose are you and who are you? You belong to God in Jesus Christ. And and then later on, and this is what that means. Does that make sense? So Ephesians actually can be broken down into two parts. If you take uh, one through three, or one through through three, it's that laying down, right? Here are the theological kind of identity pieces of the story of who the church is, who the church is in God. And then four through six is like the practical. And since you are this, this is how now that you should live. So very simple. Um, So the meta-narrative, the great love story, God's love for all of creation, within which we who are the church, and in fact, all people, and all creation finds ourselves. Uh, And I have a little illustration. Today, Erica saw a dead rat uh, out here, and I think it's because they got to the rat traps and ate some stuff that it was supposed to eat, you know, intentionally, but it was not dead yet, so it's crawling around on its side like this. (laughs) uh, I won't share for Erica, I'll just share for what my experience was, in that we were kind of looking at each other, we need to put it out of its misery, right, its suffering, and we're both like very moved by this, I'm not one of those cold hearted people when I see an animal it's like, but we knew that because this this rat was a part of creation and that we're a part of creation, we're tied to this living animal, this body, that, and Erica, like, okay, I answer your prayer, but she grabs a hammer. <laughs> and we're looking at, looking at her, and inside I'm in this debate, like, oh, I should take the hammer, and I should do it, right? Um, but then I'm like, she's from Idaho, she should do it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, anyways, Erica's like, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but she cried, she cried doing it. But like, what is that emotion in us? I think that emotion connects us actually way back to the story in Genesis, in creation, right? The way that things originally were was that animals and creation were not at, at uh, enmity with people, right? We were in harmony with animals. We were in harmony with creation. It's only after Sin and the, it says the ground was cursed, right? That the separation uh, began to happen. And if you remember um, the new, the covenant of Noah, what does it say after the covenant? It says, and from that point on, animals were scared of people, right? So that's why when I go out there and I'm like, hey, pretty bird, the bird flies away. Hey, squirrel, the squirrel goes away unless I have food. Okay? Um, so that's that's not. That's not how it was intended to be. And God is working, continuing to work today to redeem all of creation, to reconcile people with one another because there's brokenness among us. We're afraid of each other. We don't trust each other, right? And relationships between us and God and how we interact with creation, right? And he's working to make bring all things together in him who holds all things together. And so we will see that in this passage, which I'll get to you real quick. Um, so we're all connected um, to the compassion, the creation of God in this in this connection in Christ. And the reason why I keep bringing up this harmony and this unity in Christ is because Paul does. In this passage, the phrase, in Christ, is used ten times. Verse one, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Verse three, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. Verse four, God chose us in Christ to be the holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children. Again, verse 10, uh, this is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ. 11 we have also received an inheritance in Christ. 12, we are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were in the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth, verse 13, in Christ, because uh, you were sealed in the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ, verse 13. 10 different times. So God's interested, and this is part of my thesis and Paul's thesis, I believe, is God is interested in restoring our identity as his children in the context of this writing um, of import is Gentiles claim to destroy royal identity, right? Paul is like, the Gentiles, because the gospel needs to open up from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, right? And Paul's interest is this gateway opening up and the spreading the gospel beyond just the Jewish people. And so in Ephesus, you know, there's Jews and Greeks, but they're all kind of hanging out in their niches. And it's kind of like this church, right? I don't think I would ever imagine this up, right? And it actually feels kind of different. Or it's beautiful, indeed. It's very, very beautiful. And it, it does like reflect this season, and it reflects God's abundance, and goodness, and richness, and his blessings. But it's kind of like, oh, this is a little foreign too, or weird, if I'm being honest. Like, it's not like the drum set that I, and the bass. <laughs> like it's different, right? And it's behind me. Um, and that's what it's like. Different cultures have our different expressions and our different preferences when it comes to worship. And the problem comes, I think, is when these preference preferences actually we make them into righteous truths. You must sing this way. You must worship this way. Your church must be this way. We must say things this way. We must do things this way. And this is what's happening between the Jews and the Greeks. right? And the, the Jews being first and kind of the hosts, right? there's a way, as a, in the Christian faith, there's a way that we do things. Right? And Paul is saying, no, right? God, we're all adopted children. Let's, like, let's wipe this origin story out. Your identity is as adopted children, all of you. Are you with me, church? Yeah, man. Yes. <laughs> so I think verses four through like 10 are, is like one giant run-on sentence. It might not be in your translation. They might, you know, interpreters like work hard to like, let's just put a period here, it just makes it easier. Like, this is like going nuts here. Um, but it's one run-on sentence. And the best image I have is of a fire hydrant, right? Here's a fire hydrant that a kid opened and it's like spraying at you. Right, and what it's spraying at us is how Paul feels about the abundance and the goodness of God and his desire to spiritually bless with every spiritual blessing on all people on his children, goodness according to his plan that he had from the beginning of all time. He wants to bless his children and so I'm just going to close this section by going through some of the spiritual blessings. Because the key verse is three, bless the God Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So, let's take the in Christ, what are the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ? First, we're chosen and destined. He's chosen and destined us in Christ. This means that there's a plan and a future and a purpose for all of us. Isn't that amazing? There's a reason for your existence and there's someone who planned it and cared about it. That's verse four. And verse five, he adopted us as his children. We're his children. This has a lot of implications, right? No one is far away. No one has sinned so much that they can't approach, right? Nobody is foreign or doesn't belong. And it also means that we're related to everyone, amen? And that has a lot of implications. Verse 6, he has given us his glorious grace, right? That's a great gift. That's an amazing gift. And that's built, compounded um, in verses 7 through 8. In Christ, we have forgiveness and overflowing grace along with wisdom and understanding. Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but God in his redemptive grace and forgiveness actually gives us his forgiveness and grace along with wisdom and understanding. So, every good gift comes from God. Revealed the hidden mystery of the church to be the agents of new creation. Versus the mystery of the church is actually that we're supposed to be agents of blessing in the world to bring all things in him in unity, amen. Amen. amen? And we also have an inheritance and a calling. This is, goes to identity, 1112 12. Our identity belongs to God. Maybe you've forgotten it, maybe you're lost. Paul's saying, you are adopted, you have an inheritance. And you know what, the final blessing is, I've made a good faith down payment. What is that called, earnest money. It's like an earnest money on a house. The Holy Spirit is earnest money, right? It's the, it's the here and not yet. The not, whatever you say, the here and not now, not here, the now and not yet, there we go. <laughs> it's the now and not yet, right? The Holy Spirit is a down payment. We see miracles, we're empowered, we come together by the power of the Holy Spirit we experience healing but the world is still broken, we're not there yet, we haven't arrived, we're still going. and that, So that's the down payment, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray and we'll go. Ooh. God, thank you for uh, this time. May the word continue to seep into our hearts and may our conversations be full um, of questions and comments and as we continue to wrestle with your word. In your name matter for us, contextualizing Paul and Ephesians back then in first century A.D. to now in 2018. And the thing that I pull from this is what I mentioned before, 10 times in Christ, and that theme of unity under Christ and Christ wanting to bring and working to bring all things together under him, in him. Um, and the harmony and, and the renewal of all the creation and the restoration of relationships, the restoration of the world, uh, reconciliation. And actually that's a, a value, a core value is recon, uh, reconciliation. As we, do, we believe in reconciliation, which means we desire reconciliation among people. We desire reconciliation with God. We desire reconciliation between the ages the generations, reconciliation between the races, reconciliation between men and women, reconciliation of the rich and the poor, and the reconciliation of nations. Um, and actually, with our community garden and our desire to till the soil and, and harvest it and work the ground, uh, the reconciliation between people and God's creation the be heard. So that's very important. And I think the question after that flows from that is, what gives us the strength or the empowerment to be reconcilers out there? If, if we've received every spiritual blessing from God, are we not then in turn to be a community of blessing to the world around us, to people around us, to the, our neighborhood around us? Because part of being a child, of any parent is that we look like that parent right? and we act like that parent and we have the same values and the same family things that we do and we sit at the same family meal. The first is to know that we are gods and we belong to God, and we have an inheritance in God and with that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say the Holy Spirit heals our heart in a way in ways that makes us capable of loving other people as well because we're capable of loving ourselves we live in a disconnected and broken world we live in a place where people are so 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 lonely right? even though technology and the internet has made us more connected we're actually maybe less connected uh, emotionally our hearts than we've ever been before relationally, mm-hmm. and our nation is very clear that our nation is extremely divided. Right? You only have to look at watch your news station, or watch the deliberations of the Senate to see like, man, it's this side and that side, and and we on Facebook, we we all have our own convictions and beliefs, and we will like. You're gonna choose a side, right? And that's, the church has become that way as well. There's division. There's division among the races. So what does it mean to be a community of blessing, right? A community that is about bringing the disconnected in, in him, in Christ, in unity. And, and so that's the thing that uh, my challenge with the new for us as a community. The church, our identity is here to bring about this restoration and reconciliation in the world. And this is the mystery of the church, that we're supposed to be leaders in that. We're supposed to be a household of blessing for the world. We're supposed to reflect God's wholeness and God's desires to the world and be an example and be a witness by our unity and our reconciliation. So what does it mean to be a reconciling, shalom community? Right? What does it mean to um, care about the wholeness of our neighbor? Right? The wellness of our neighbors. That we're, we're not just worried about our individual selves being right, but if someone is hurting over there, even a wreck, we would care about and have compassion about that. So, our response, and we're going to move to our response time, um, an application is actually a personal one. Um, because I, I think to begin to bless, we have to begin with the ways that we're broken in that place, where we have actually taken on the fire hydrant, not of God's identity and spiritual blessings to us we've taken on the fire hydrant of curses, right? The lies and the deceptions, the the identities, the false identities that the world has given us that we've absorbed that tell us lies, that tell us we're something different than adopted daughters and sons of God, amen? And so the question, and we've written it up on the chalkboard up there, is, side A is, what curses have you been listening to? In your own personal life um, over time, what curses, you know what I mean by curses, words of death, non-truths, false statements, false identities about who you are and whose you are. Uh, what curses have you been listening to? Because just as God wants to bring all things together again, there's an entropic force, right? That Satan wants to bring, break things apart and make division and shatter identities. So there are those forces. Side B, on the flip side, what blessings are God offering you today? And so we're gonna take some time to worship. The team is gonna come and sing a song, and uh, there's a chalkboard up there. You can write those things if you feel like it, or you can sit in your seat. There's notepads underneath the pews.
1: You can reflect, or if you can write your journal, or you can just sit and pray. But we'll take a few moments to
0: reflect and think about those, and and then we will close.